Rotation family, we are back with episode 11. We've got a great interview for you today, which we will get to shortly. Yes. Before we do that, I want to plug our Mr. Throwback code. This week, your code is CHAMPS. C-H-A-M-P-S. CHAMPS. Use that code CHAMPS for any Mr. Throwback merchandise in store or online and get 10% off all of your coolest sports drip. Champs, as in the Denver Nuggets. Shout out to past guest DJ Paws. Champs, as in Man City in the Champions League. That's NBA champion DJ Paws to you. Yeah, and if you're listening to that, Kobe Rabushka, we know your thoughts on your two and a half year city fandom. Um, Jake. Yes. Someone you came across recently. I won't. Uh, I won't elaborate on who it was, um, though it was a girl, made a comment to you about UK rap music, Grime. What did they say? Well, I'm going to stop you right there because it wasn't Grime. So that's a, that's a classic. <laughs> I must have That's a classic heard. American putting Grime into the everything is Grime and not whatever. Not Grime. Uh, it was more along the lines of Dave, Central Sea. Um, but yeah, I was told they're cringe, which I disagree with. Uh, to this person's credit, they are British, so I think from their context, it's played in the radio like nonstop there. So I have the luxury of not having that personally. Yep, and that's some of my favorite music, but I don't have to be inundated with it constantly. Well, not to pull this out of you, they did conversely say that what was not cringe was Drake, right? Which who, I thought is a crazy counter. And by the way, like, it's probably also played. In the radio, on the radio yeah, it's not like Drake UK. is like an indie artist. Yeah, I'm not like, buying the counter argument. Um, um, and Drake is great, but I think part of realizing that he's great is that he also is kind of cringe sometimes and yeah. leaning into that. And actually, actually, finding Drake not cringe is cringe. Is a little bit cringe. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> sorry. No, no offense taken. Yeah. Um, but so yeah. Well, you know you. You made yourself cringe there by conflating cringe and UK rap. Other people have made themselves yeah. cringe. What could have been? What could have been? But uh, um, yeah. So with that, Jake, you know who wasn't cringe? Our guest this week? Yeah. Do you want to tell the folks about him? Yeah. So we had on Matthew Kaminsky. He's been the Atlanta Braves organist since 2009. Not every MLB stadium has an organist these days. I don't know if you guys go to baseball games, if you guys realize that. A lot of places now are just live, or, or not live, just, just a DJ bumping whatever they want to play. The Braves have a DJ and an organist. So you go to a Braves game, and the opposing uh, batter is going up, and Matthew is kind of fucking with them and you know playing funny little songs. Um, and he's a recording artist aside from that, really skilled at what he does. And you know another sort of conversation that is really kind of right at the nexus of what we want to get to right Mason yeah I think it was uh you know really interesting to hear him talking about how his music background plays into um the atmosphere he he gives to Braves fans every night and and this is this is one for the real rotation heads that's what we just said before this you know yeah. you're not going to get clickbaity you know maybe insane headlines off of this one but if you're really interested in the the nitty-gritty this one is for you this one's for the rotator cuffs guys matthew kaminsky rotation listeners this week we are taking you out to the ball game 
We've got Matthew Kaminsky here, who's been the Braves organist since 2009. Matthew, how are you? I'm doing wonderful over here. It's a nice, um, actually, we only get a little three-day break in between home series, which is which is strange with this uh, more balanced schedule, I guess. That'll, uh, that'll give you a breather. Um, so we did some research. You've been studying Oregon since the age of five. How, walk us through. He's been in this. Yeah, you've been in this game. Walk us through what your journey with the instrument is and how it led you to your current role today. Well, at, at first, you know, my parents kind of just forced. It was my sister and I who took lessons at the same time and they kind of just forced us. So <laughs> just like any little uh, any kid in kindergarten or first grade. Um, so, you know, throughout grade school, they, they just kind of would encourage our practicing, you know, and uh, sometimes force us to practice or take away things if we didn't practice. <laughs> um, and then it wasn't until about um, junior high or middle school where I really wanted to learn on my own. Um, so I was into uh, kind of a lot of, I guess, more classic rock bands over there um, at that time. So I was into The Doors and uh, Led Zeppelin and The Beatles. You see my shirt here. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the bands I was listening to had keyboards in it, um, whether it's organ or piano. Um, so I would I would actually just sit and uh, figure out those like note for note, like those uh, door songs, like the organ solos and stuff. Um, so that kind of started um, the love of music for me is when I started to do it myself rather than, you know, having someone force me to do it. So you're you're kind of self-taught with the with the notes and whatnot, or what was that kind of I guess education like? No, actually, so when we started at five uh, uh, and six years old, my sister and I actually took lessons from a teacher. Um, so she she taught us um, on the organ, and when you read music on the organ, you're reading I don't know how much about um, music notation, you know, but I'm reading a treble clef, a bass clef, and a bass clef. So I'm throwing reading three staffs or staves all at once. So sounds very advanced for a five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reading music, uh, you know, was, it was thrown at me from, from the very beginning. Now, um, throughout that time, I, I discovered that I could hear things and, and try to play it pretty quickly. Gotcha. Um, so I have a good ear for, um, you know, just picking up tunes or playing what my ear hears. Uh, that doesn't mean I have perfect pitch. I don't have perfect pitch. Like if you, if you played a note on the piano, I couldn't tell you if that's an A or a C. You know, there's people who are kind of born with that. Yeah. But if you were to play me a melody, I could I could figure it out. You know, if I knew what the key was, I could figure it out pretty quickly. It's still a talent. Um, and and just to kind of close the loop on that question. So how did that sort of mastering of the organ lead you? To the Braves. Throughout high school, you know, I uh, played in the jazz band in high school, and I uh, went to college for music and got a master's degree in music. And actually, while I was um, working on my master's degree, one of my organ students, because I was also teaching um, as well as going to school, and one of my adult organ students just happened to know the um, audio engineer for the Braves, and um, they uh, they asked me if I was interested. You know, so it really. You know, they didn't put out like um, any press release or they didn't put out an American Idol audition or anything like that. It was really them trying to look behind the scenes for um, an organist. And I just kind of was in the right place at the right time. 
So I can't apply on LinkedIn to be the organist for the Braves. Is what you're saying? <laughs> well, uh, maybe when I retire, you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you now know a guy. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that's the that's the first step. That's the first step. You could you could choose your successor. Um, so obviously, you've you've been in that role for quite some time now as the organist. Um, how do you sort of see that role in terms of, you know, what sort of, uh, I guess service you're providing, right? Is it sort of to get the players motivated? Is it to entertain the fans? Is it sort of a bit of both? How, how do you sort of view, you know, your job every night? Really? I, I would think that I'm playing for the fans. I don't know if the players, um, pay all that much attention, especially while they're on the field. Yeah. Um, I've I've had players or former players tell me that they uh, they used to listen to me like um, former pitcher for the Braves Chris Medlin would tell me um, that you know back when he was playing he would listen in the dugout um, you know w- whenever I was uh, uh, playing something so I pretty much base my playing um, at Shrewsbury Park for the fans and I have to also. Um, primarily play for the fans who are at the stadium. Now through Twitter and such, there are a lot of fans um, listening at home. Um, and I always get the uh, complaints that they can't quite hear me on the broadcast and all that type of stuff. So I have to um, really cater my playing towards who's ever in the stadium at the moment. For sure. Um, you know, during the pandemic years, um, when there weren't any fans in the stands, I had to kind of change my way of thinking and I had to actually um, I changed my organ sound so that it was better heard on TV because I knew that there weren't any fans there. But now with the, with, you know, the fans in there um, and I'm catering to who's at the game at the moment. So, I mean, when you say you cater to fans, I know you're active on Twitter. You mentioned that. Are you taking like specific requests? Or are you kind of just feeling out what the vibe is and, and you kind of know, you know, what people sort of want to hear? How, how does that exactly look? Yeah, so what one thing or one of my jobs over here um, that I'm kind of known for is playing walk-up songs for the opposing team. And um, I guess I'm uh, known as the organist who makes fun of the other team. <laughs> um, so one way that I um, play people's requests is that before each game, I'll post the lineup up, you know, the, um, the actual sheet that they give us at the um, ballpark with the lineup. And then I will take requests, you know, I... I try to play at least two or three songs per player because they're going to get up to bat maybe four or five times. So I'm, I'm going to try to mix it up each player. So um, I would say I play about 70% requests per game. And then um, the other 30% are the ones that I've maybe come up with. Yeah. Um, So all my walk-ups, you know, before each game, I'm trying to work on all my walk-up songs um, so that they're in my memory as as the player comes up to bat. And then, you know, sometimes I, I'm, I am kind of playing for the players because I'm playing those hand-clapping songs and I'm trying to get the crowd really active in the game. So that's kind of like playing for the players, you know, trying to cheer them up as well. <laughs> What a you talked a little bit about about you know what you do for the opposing teams. What do you view as the as the line of how far you can go messing with them, and and so you, like w- where is that line, and have you ever stepped over it? Yeah, we saw you messing with some Mets fans on Twitter recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people, you know, people get mad at different things, as as you know. So, 
you know, I, I would play this old man for Albert Pujols. <laughs> people, people got mad at that. Um, and then I would play, um, you know, I would play, um, I'm a little teapot for Jose Altuve. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I really uh, crossed the line entirely, but um, I, I usually ask for forgiveness. So um, I, I'll test the waters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i guess in terms of testing the waters um atlanta is a huge rap town like so many hip-hop influences have, have come out of there and it's it's got a rich history with rap um how important is it to you to sort of play a wide variety of music and and maybe stuff that reflects the area and the fan base a little bit you know um i realized that on twitter um, the whole fan base is not represented on there. So if you think about it, people on Twitter are maybe, I don't know, to broad range, 30 to 50 year olds, sure. let's say. So I'm I'm realizing like the 50 and above crowd is not represented on there. And I don't think too many really young people are on Twitter these days. They're more on Instagram and TikTok maybe. Um, so I have to realize that not every suggestion I get on Twitter is going to be representing the whole crowd base mm. um when it comes to newer music i kind of let the dj um play a lot of the the current hits and stuff mm. so i don't really worry about what's current in today's charts unless it really works as a walk-up song and mm. um, we did have an outcast night the, uh, a couple of weeks ago um, so i learned a couple outcast songs and I, i've learned some ludicrous songs and stuff like that um and I, I realized that a lot of people, um, you know, really resonate with that, but then there's a se se section of the crowd that doesn't. Mm. So I try to, um, I try to be varied with my walk-up songs and I try to make them very um, recognizable. So that's why I'm a little teapot works because everyone knows like the nursery rhymes or right. kind of the, the um, really simple songs work really well. Yeah. Um, with rap music and hip hop, a lot of times, you know, someone wanted me to play um, um, a specific Snoop Dogg song. I forget. Um, I can't remember what, what what the song was, but there wasn't a discernible melody. So with music, um, to make it sound or sound okay on the organ, it needs to have some sort of hook, yeah. maybe a bass line or melody. You know, the Outkast songs worked really well because there's usually some sort of hook there. Mm -hmm. um, not not that the Snoop Dogg song didn't have a hook, but um, I couldn't quite figure out what the melody was because it's in a spoken word. Yeah. You know, I would end up just playing one note on the organ to kind of emulate that spoken word. So, so a lot of times I'm choosing songs that really work for the instrument and that are recognizable within like 12 seconds, mm -hmm. and especially with the pitch clock this year. I only get a certain amount of seconds to play these walk-up songs, so I have to make sure it's recognizable right away. Definitely. And, and speaking to sort of your adaptability as an organist, how has, if at all, how has the pitch clock rule affected your sort of pace of play? Um, has it affected it at all, or are you, do you have to adjust to sort of the, the quicker speed of the game and when you can come in and come out of the game's presence? It's definitely... Um... It definitely has made my walk-ups shorter in Major League Baseball. 
And the reason why I say that is because I do a lot of college baseball games and it's about the same time as the college baseball um, games, because the distance between the on-deck circle and the batter's box in colleges is a lot shorter than the major league stadiums. So I've, I'm actually kind of used to the time just because I've been doing college baseball since probably 2011. Um, so that wasn't really that much of an adjustment, but people, um, you know, Braves fans aren't used to me playing so short. Um, so the the Braves fans who watch at home are not really hearing my songs as well because I used to play them. Mm. Um, you know, I'm getting cut off probably at least five to seven seconds shorter this year than last year, which you wouldn't think is that that much. But um, when I, you know, in total this year, maybe I'm getting like 10 to 12 seconds. Whereas last year, maybe like 17 to 19 seconds. So um, it does make a little bit of a difference. Now, there are moments where if the batter steps out of the box, we get some extra time. Or if the pitcher takes a little time out. Um, but um, as far as rules, I, I have to, as soon as the batter enters the batter's box, I have to kind of stop my walk-up song. Now, every player has their own routine of like stepping in and then stepping back a little bit and stepping back in. But um, I have to kind of closely follow their actions. Yeah, you hear about how it's going to make life tougher for pitchers and batters, but not organists. It's very interesting how how, <laughs> how you how you lose like seven seconds there. That's that's a lot. Um, you know, you, the Braves obviously have a great team right now, and um, just with guys like Acuna or Albies or, or Riley, um, which of the guys in the team, if any, sort of care about music the most and like, do you find yourself communi communicating with any of them really about um, what's going on up there? Really, um, for the current players, I don't, um, you know, we're kind of separated from the players. So um, the press box area or the control room where I'm at is in the press box area, which is the third level of the stadium. And the players are down on the field. So I don't really get close up to any of the players. Um, the last player, actually, you guys will uh, know Jerry. Um, Jerry Blevins, um, who yeah. was on your Mets for a while, um, was on the Braves for maybe two seasons, I think. And he was actually the only player that requested to meet me uh, after a game. One time I'm like, uh-oh, what did I do this time? Um, but Jerry's a great guy, and he just wanted to say that, um, you know, when he was in the bullpen, they would have a game in the bullpen trying to figure out what songs I was playing for each player and, yeah. and why I was playing that. So, so shout out to Jerry. <laughs> Slattering, yeah, that's great. Um, at, you know, you're you're a recording artist yourself. Um, is there a musician, be it related to sports or not, that you would like to collab with at some point? Um, you know, I'm I primarily consider myself a jazz musician. Um, so I, I play jazz on that organ right behind me there. <laughs> the, is that called a Hammond B three organ? Um, so there are plenty of artists. Um, guitar players, vocalists, drummers um, that I would lo love to work with. Um, they're not going to be household names. So, um, you know, a guitar player I, I would love to play with is a guy named Peter Bernstein um, out of New York, um, a drummer, Bill, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Bill Stewart. Um, so, and in the jazz world, they're well known um, names, but they're not, you know, general. Uh, Famous people out in society. 
Now, if you look behind me over here, I'm a huge Beach Boys fan. So you can see kind of, oh, this way. <laughs> you can see that Beach Boys poster up there. Uh, um, you know, Brian Wilson is probably 81 years old. So mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to ever have a chance to collaborate with Brian Wilson. But um, some of my heroes are those artists like Paul McCartney and Brian Wilson. And, um, you know, the guys who I love, lifts, like Jeff Lynn of Yellow and stuff like that. Um, so I have like kind of the uh, the jazz musician side of me who, who have certain players I want to play with, but I'm also, you know, have love of rock music. So, mm -hmm. you know, I love the band Rush, you know, and yes. and all those bands. So I would love to meet any of those guys. For sure. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of baseball, kind of the game itself, the Braves are two years out from um, just winning a World Series what was it like working during that? And did that sort of change your approach to the job at all? Or, or was it just business as usual? Well, um, for me, playing the walk-ups was kind of business as usual. So I didn't really change what I did there. Um, I knew that so many people were, or so many more people were listening to what I was doing. And I knew that um, um, I would be critiqued a lot more. <laughs> Um, those are really enjoyable to play. Um, I, you know, one of the highlights was actually I got to be in the parade, oh, which wow. is really really cool. So after they they won, um, there was a uh, like a semi or flatbed semi truck where I actually had my keyboard on top of, and going throughout Atlanta through like a million people playing, you know, taking me out to the ball game. We are the champions and stuff like that. So, and that's one of my fondest memories. You know, the games were kind of a. Uh, um everything was kind of a whirlwind you know it happened so fast that i don't remember specific moments um but i i do remember kind of the whole um you know the pageantry of everything you know all the ceremonies and um you know uh just having so many more people listening to me was was a really cool thing was that where the uh I'm a little teapot made its debut for Altuve. <laughs> I think I had played it before then, but, <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm a little teapot. Uh, I also played, it's a small world after all. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> Got it. People get angry for everything. Yeah. I mean, if, if you don't find that funny, you're just, you're just taking yourself a little too seriously, I think, but just being an, being an organist in general, um, is there something that people don't realize about the role or, or don't sort of uh, don't understand that, that you would, you would kind of push back on or kind of like to shed light on, I guess. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize how many different styles of music I play. So the, the Braves fans who hear me at the stadium, they hear it kind of, you know, I, I try to play in that traditional, what I consider baseball organ style. And actually, in my head, um, you guys being New Yorkers, um, there was a famous um, organist for the Yankees. His name was Eddie Layton. Um, and Eddie Layton kind of had that traditional Hammond organ baseball style. But what a lot of people don't realize is that I play also in a salsa band. I play piano in a salsa band here in Atlanta. Um, I play the accordion, so I played a polka band. Yeah. Um, I've played with a lot of different rock bands, uh, just sitting in or even being a member of different bands. Um, there's a band called Mo that I sat in with a couple years back. Um, you know, I, I could play with a blues band, uh, of course, the jazz groups that I play with. So, um, 
a lot of people just think that I do one thing and and that's that I couldn't be farther from <laughs> from what I do. That's really cool. More than just a brave. Yeah. More than just the Braves or you know, and I love playing for baseball too. Um, but you know, uh, during the off season, I'm just as busy with other gigs. For sure. Well, Matthew, we really appreciated you coming on. Um, is there anything? I mean, we know you're recording ours. Is is there anything else you'd like to plug or kind of promote before we get you out of here? Really, I'm just my website. So uh, MatthewKaminsky.com. It's pretty easy to find. Um, if you're ever watching a Braves. Uh, game go to twitter at braves organist or i have a facebook handle at braves organist as well and uh, instagram is at braves organist pretty easy to find <laughs> so, so uh check in on there and uh you can request any well you can request a song and if i play it then uh that'll be good well, well good, good luck thanks guys yeah good luck and go braves thanks for talking to you you too <laughs> Folks, that was Matthew Kaminsky, the Braves in-stadium organist, with a a really fascinating uh, interview about what it sort of takes to control the environment of a baseball game, which is in and of itself a very fragile environment. Definitely, yeah. Um, And I think you kind of heard how his sort of mastering of the organ and and musical expertise plays into conducting a a baseball game. So, uh, you guys, with that, that is the end of episode 11. We will see you shortly for Rotation episode 12. Thanks, as always, for listening. Later. Later.